I wonder what you would think if I told you that today we're going to learn about the gospel from lizards and lobsters. I imagine some of you would think you're at the wrong church. You would think I came for serious Bible teaching. Others of you might think, oh, it's vacation Bible school, learning about the gospel from lizards and lobsters. Well, we are going to do serious Bible teaching. And uh, it's not vacation Bible school. We really and truly are going to be learning about the gospel from things like lizards and things like lobsters. That's because that's what Acts chapter 10 is about. So if you have a Bible, you can find the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. We're studying through this book as a church on Sunday mornings. And think of it in these terms. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John celebrate, acknowledge the unique conception of Jesus the unique life of Jesus, the unique death of Jesus, the unique resurrection of Jesus, the unique ascension of Jesus. Then the book of Acts is where Jesus' unique apostles were commissioned before he ascended to take the gospel, to take the good news of salvation in Christ, starting in Jerusalem. This is Acts 1.8. Starting in Jerusalem and then beyond and beyond and beyond to the point where The gospel goes not only to the Jews, this is really important, but to the non-Jews. It goes to the Gentiles. If you're new to the Bible, there are two kinds of people, according to the Bible. There are Jews and there are non-Jews. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. There are people who are part of the nation of Israel, and then there are the nations. And so what happens in Acts chapter 10 strategically It's repeated actually three times, this event, repeated three times because it's important in the book of Acts, we have the gospel uniquely going now even to the non-Jews, even to the Gentiles, even to the nations. This is good news for most of you because most of you are part of the nations. Most of you are Gentiles, but whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it's good news because the gospel is for Jews and Gentiles. I used to think I was a Gentile, but I've been told that I'm a Jew based upon my last name. And you know what? It doesn't matter. Because if you're in Christ by faith, you're part of the people of God. And Acts chapter 10 emphasizes that. It's actually a really important thing. There's one way of salvation. It's through faith in Christ, regardless of what kind of background you have. So let's do Acts 10, 1 to 48. It's pretty straightforward, pretty simple, but a lot of verses. So sometimes we're going to have to go real fast. <laughs> Tried to say it fast and I couldn't even do it. So I hope you're encouraged. We're going to be starting at my favorite place. Here's my shameless plug for the Israel trip. You land in Tel Aviv. You brush your teeth. You wash your face off. You put your bags on the bus and you take the bus to Joppa at the Mediterranean Sea. And you just think, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then where do you go next? You go to Caesarea, which you say, this is the coolest place I've ever seen, on the Med. All of this takes place in Acts 10 between either Joppa or up the coast, 31 miles, Caesarea, or as we learned last week, Caesarea is a good way to say it because it it reminds you that It's a key place when it comes to the Romans where they've occupied Israel and they've set up headquarters, if you will, in Caesarea. Okay, let's jump in. Let's get things moving. Verse 1 says, at Caesarea, we would say, 
the official seat of the Roman procurator and the significant Gentile population because the Romans are there at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So military leader, think something like a captain in charge of between 100 and 600 men, probably archers, probably in charge of the security and order of the town. Verse 2 says, a devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Looks a lot like he loved his neighbor and he loved God. He's a unique kind of individual. He's not a Jewish man. He's a Gentile, but he's come to believe in the one true and living God, the God the Jews affirm, Yahweh. And so he stands out. He's unique. He's different because of that. The most important thing about this person is that he's a Gentile. That's really what's key to our passage. He's a non-Jew. He's a God-fearer. He believes in that one true God, but he's a non-Jew. He's different. Now, we could spend all day here talking about his exact spiritual status. Just remember in the book of Acts, if you don't understand the one key word that starts with a T, you'll be confused. And it's the word transition. It's, it's a peculiar time, right? Because there are Old Testament saints alive when Jesus comes, and they have to come to realize that they need to believe in Him, even though they were actually already saved. And so here we've got this guy who sounds a lot like an, like a Gentile Old Testament saint. He may or may not be, but kind of sounds a lot like he is. And yet he needs to believe, he, he hasn't heard the truth about Jesus, or he needs to come to that next step, if you will, because he's, he's a tweener. Right? Transition time. He needs to come and believe in Jesus. Whether he's saved or he's not saved, he needs to come and believe, come to believe in Jesus. But, but a unique kind of person. But what we need to see is that he is a non-Jew. The gospel's expanding. The, the proclamation of the good news of salvation is expanding even beyond Jewish borders, if you will, even though this guy's in Israel. How about verse 3? About the ninth hour of the day, 3 p.m., he saw clearly, this Cornelius, he saw clearly in a vision, seems like he was praying based upon the other text and what we will read, praying and during his prayer he has a unique experience, a vision, an angel of God came in and said to him, to say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. God is pleased with your praying. God is, it's like an old, it's like a Jewish sacrifice, but he wasn't a Jew and he wasn't doing sacrifices. But, but your praying was met with the approval of the one true and living God. God heard his praying. Now we could speculate about, wonder what he was praying. Well, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. Maybe he was praying, God, show me your will. That's going to get answered for sure, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe he was praying something messianic. Oh, Lord, I long for the day because he, he obviously knows something about the one true God. He knows about the Bible. Uh, maybe he's praying something messianic. God, show me who the ultimate Messiah is, the one who would come in the line of David. There's so many promises. Show me. Regardless of how he's praying, 
God is going to answer it the way God wants to answer it. And he does indeed do that. How about verse 5? And now send men to Joppa, some 30 miles down the coastline, if you're in Caesarea, and bring one Simon who is called Peter. Verse 6 says, he is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, as in animal hides, whose house is by the sea. And we saw Peter was there in chapter 9 last week. Okay, go, go to sin, sin for him. Verse 7 says, When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Go get that guy. Go get Peter. I, I just had this unique, extraordinary experience. And I was told to, to, to listen to Peter, answered prayer, Go get him and bring him to me. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? Not a lot of mystery. Pretty clear. It's a big deal, though. How about the next scene? Location changes. Now we're in Joppa. That was fast. 31 miles. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, I guess we're not quite there yet, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while... While they were preparing it, pause for a second, preparing it, preparing the food, while they were preparing the kosher meal, right? Because he's a Jew and he follows the Jewish food laws of Leviticus 11. So he's not going to enjoy that succulent, wonderful lobster from the Mediterranean Sea. He's not going to enjoy those wonderful white shrimp from the Mediterranean Sea, you know, it has to be a kosher meal. While they were preparing it, Luke, Luke captures the idea at, at the very time while Peter's hungry and they're preparing it, it says he fell into a trance. Verse 11, look there. And saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending. It's a word for cloth, maybe linen cloth. Think of like a tablecloth. It descends, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Verse 12 says, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles. That's important. And birds of the air. Now, if you're Peter, what are you thinking? So far, so good, right? All creatures of our God and King, right? Great and small. God made all these and Okay, so far so good. That's kind of interesting. Nature Channel. <laughs> Wonder what this is about. But, but then let's keep going. Verse 13. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill. And the last two words are, are the deal breaker words for Peter. And eat. Dun, 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 dun. Say what? You've got to be kidding me. What about Leviticus 11? What about food laws? Verse 14. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, which is a really weird grouping of words to put together. You're talking to Lord, the Lord and you say, by no means. Joppa, we have a problem. <laughs> Not Houston. <laughs> but Peter said, by no means, Lord, for, for I have never, never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I've kept kosher, like Jew, Jewish people say sometimes today. I've kept kosher my whole life. 
My parents, if they were Jews, they, they kept kosher too. And it goes way back. My wife, and he was married, by the way, because he had a mother-in-law. My wife has kept kosher. And, and her parents. I mean, we, we stand in a long line of people who are serious about this. If you've never read Leviticus 11, how fast can you read 47 verses? Probably not fast enough. It's a, lo- it's a long list in Leviticus 11. I'll just give you the flyover. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, speak to the people of Israel. So it's for them and everything from camels to badgers to rabbits to pigs to eagles to vultures to falcons to ostriches, mole rat, mouse, great lizard of any kind, gecko, monitor lizard, sand lizard, chameleon, unclean, uh, fish uh, that aren't fish that don't meet certain requirements such as lobster and shrimp. That's why I mentioned that earlier. And then it says in verse 44, for I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. And I'm just flying over. The nations, everybody else enjoys lobster bisque. Israel is meant to be different, to be distinct, to stand out. And so God gave them unique, holy, distinct laws to follow. Okay. Verse 15. And the voice came to him again a second time. This is, this is worth highlighting. What God has made clean, do not call common. Verse 16 says, this happened three times. Oh, with Peter? Really? (laughs) Who'd have thunk it? From now on, you'll be rock because you still have a skull that's like a rock. Oh, I'm just making things up now. But this happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. But, But give the guy a little bit of a break. Your whole life. And for who knows how far back it's been this way. By no means, Lord. Remember, Peter says something similar to that in Acts 16 when Jesus says he has to go to the cross. May it never be. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. There is no redemption apart from me going to the cross. I want you to think about this. Because of what happens in the life and ministry of Jesus, by divine design, this also has to happen. It has to happen. But Peter is still saying that that, that, that can't be the case. I wonder what Peter liked most, the lizard kebab, kebabs or the lobster bisque? Can you imagine? There are such thing, things as lizard kebabs. I have the internet at my house. I checked. All different kinds. <laughs> Weird, huh? This whole matter had been hinted at earlier. I don't know if hinted is the right word. Pardon me if it's not the right word. But even by Jesus himself. In the midst of Jesus' earthly ministry, because of what he was doing and because of what he knew he would do in completion. In Mark chapter 7. Jesus says, it says of Jesus, thus he declared all foods clean. The trajectory, if you will, the hinting at, if you will, it was, it was already going to be this way based upon what Jesus said. How were they made clean? Well, I'm glad you're asking yourself that question. They were made clean 
for starters, it was never meant to be a permanent thing to begin with. Israel, unique nation, so that Jesus would be born as a part of this unique nation with this unique, strict kind of law, and he would perfectly fulfill the law. Not only that, this unique nation with its unique laws, and you have all of these other things like prophets and priests and kings and sacrifices, we call them shadows, always by divine design to have Jesus born into that system, under that system, if you will, and perfectly fulfill and be the one that all of those shadows were pointing toward all along. Jesus fulfills the law in every necessary sense, even in the strictest sense. So he can declare all things clean because he made them all clean. Pretty interesting to think about. He could also make all things clean because of who he is. He's God. He's the God man because of who he is and because of what he does. He has the authority to do so, but not only that, he met all of the obligations and it was always designed ultimately to anticipate the one who is the substance. This is why every pseudo-Christian cultic kind of group who has food laws inevitably doesn't get the person and work of Christ right and inevitably doesn't understand the types and shadows significance of the nation of Israel always meant to be temporary and to be fulfilled by Jesus. Verse 17. And by the way, when you talk to people who are part of these cultic groups and they might be misled and deceived, just remember Peter. By no means, Lord. It's the by no means, by no means, Lord church. Not a good look. Not a good look to be the by no means Lord church. Okay, let's move on. Verse 17. Now, while Peter, I like it that he captures the while Peter was inwardly perplexed at the very same time, right? As to what the vision that he had just seen might mean. Oh, so it's more than just we have a bigger menu now. So he's going to use the, the bigger menu to actually lead him to a bigger issue. It is a bigger issue. What, what does this mean? And then it says, behold, also capturing the time. So it's while Peter, and then at the very same time, behold, this is important, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for, for Simon's house, stood at the gate. So right at that very same time. Oh, what interesting coincidences. Oh, it's by design. They stood at the gate, verse 18, and called out to ask whether Simon, was call, who was called Peter, was lodging there. See, Gentile uncleanness, if you're in Christ, it's Gentile cleanness. We're all foods clean. Guess what? All people are clean. And there's not going to be a distinction. You're one in Christ. All of this is anticipating what we know to be true later. A lot of water under the bridge. Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Gentile if you're in Christ. Just like it can be. Every, now everything's kosher, if you will. No distinctions in Christ. Verse 19. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? So he's not altogether clear yet, but he's putting pieces together. Verse 22 says, And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, remember, Gentile. 
and upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be he invited them in to be his guests. The next day they rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Peter the Jew no longer is to eat like a Jew. And now we see Peter the Jew is no longer to disassociate himself even in the closest of fellowship with people that were otherwise considered, on the harsh level, dogs. Not that all Jews were that harsh. Okay, plot thickens, verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Can you imagine? Unique experience while you were praying, God told you to do this and get this guy. You're going to tell everybody about it. Come, come to my come to my place and we, we're going to hear something unique and special and extraordinary. Make sure you're there. He's enthusiastic. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up. I too am a man. Don't want to make a mountain out of a, out of a molehill. The word worshipped is the word prostrated himself. He put his face to the ground. He put he bowed down. He he was down on his face. It doesn't have to be translated to worship. And I mentioned that. It's fine to translate it that way. I don't know the man's heart exactly what was going on. But so far, we don't get the impression he was an idol worshiper. So far, based upon we what we've seen, he's a believer in the one true God, Yahweh. And you don't get the idea he thinks Peter is God. So we don't have to fight over it or argue over it. But he's in awe of Peter on one level or another. And Peter's like, that's not fitting for any human being for you to be doing that. Get up. So even an apostle, even someone who's extraordinary, that's not fitting for any human being. That gesture is unfitting for a mere mortal. Get up. Verse 27. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And then, ever so quickly, before verse 28, sometime between the vision of the lizards and such, and verse 28, Peter's having aha, an aha moment or aha moments. Because things are starting to gel and, and fit together. Because look what he says in verse 28. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful, um, again, maybe a better translation because it's actually not the word for anti-law or unlawful. It's, it's not customary. It's forbidden. Uh, it's not allowed. You yourselves know how unfitting, inappropriate, anti-tradition it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. I mean, that's, that's, that's generally how it is, right? Unclean animal eaters, unclean farmers, unclean people, people who don't keep kosher and follow all the strict laws that we have in Levitical laws. You know what? They, they, they don't, they don't hang out together. And he says, and you guys know this. Then it says, let's keep reading. 
But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Which is really interesting because based upon what we have recorded, God didn't actually explicitly say that. But Peter's putting the pieces together with the animals. And if that's true and based upon where I'm traveling, you know what? There's something to be learned from the animals and it applies to the people. That unique Jewish national law that divided the people on planet earth. If that food law goes, the other law goes too. It's fascinating what he's doing here. God has shown me that I should not call any call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So he's understanding a lot, but there's still this question. Why am I here? And maybe Peter knows exactly why he's there, but he's asking them, I don't know. Let's keep going because it's exciting. Verse 30 says, And Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon at Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once. Maybe he's rehearsing all this so everybody can hear. I don't know, but it would have been good for them all to hear. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God, which is really fascinating. If they're all uniquely in the presence of God, Jew and Gentile together, he might even be saying more than he realizes. Now, therefore, we are, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So he just In front of all his family and friends that he invited, he just puts the golf ball on the tee. Perfectly. Peter, there you go. Preach the truth. Preach the truth. And we know it's preach the gospel truth. Tell everybody here who, like me or not like me, Cornelius speaking, believes in the one true and living God. But you got, you got, you got to finish the story, if you will. You got to tell us about fulfillment. You got to tell us about the ultimate son. Peter starts, rather interestingly enough, he doesn't start with the gospel. He just starts with a truism. If you will, he starts with law. He just starts with what's true about everybody. Let me start by telling you something true about God. Okay, here, here it is in verses 34 and 35. If you're a law gospel person, this isn't gospel, this is law. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. That's Deuteronomy 10. God has never been a God who shows partiality. Let me just tell you, that's true about God. Verse 35 says, But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. And if you think that's the gospel, I think you're mistaken. Every time the gospel is preached in the book of Acts, it doesn't sound like that. He's going to get to the gospel, but what does he start with? Something like Paul does in Acts chapter, or excuse me, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 3. Let me just tell you something about God. God is fair and just. And let me tell you about human beings. If you do the right thing, always and forever, right? It's going to go well for you. Interesting way to start. 
I found it fascinating how many people wanted to make that the gospel. That doesn't seem like the gospel to me. And, and if that's the gospel, why doesn't he just stop there? Have a nice day. He doesn't. He totally doesn't. God has always been just, always will be just. And if you fear God perfectly, personally, and perpetually, and do what is right personally, perfectly, and perpetually, everything is going to be great. Have fun with that, those of you who are in Adam. <laughs> Have fun with that in light of Romans chapter 3. None righteous, no, not one. But now, how about now we move on? Now it's the gospel moment. 36, as for the word... Revelation used in the book of Acts for, for the revelation of God in Christ in the gospel. As for the word that he sent to Israel here recently, but now it's expanding, that he sent to Israel preaching good news, gospel news of peace. Think Romans chapter 5 verse 1, peace with God. How do we have peace with God? It's through the gospel, preaching the good news that sinners can have peace with God because you can't do 34 and 35 appropriately. Good news of peace, not hostility, through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. What's the way to have shalom? What's the way to have peace with God? It's by believing in Jesus. It's through the good news. It's by trusting in Him is what's happening here. He's Lord of all. Jews and Gentiles, I think, is the idea. I'm in really good company. So if you believe in Jesus, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you have peace with God. And he doesn't go there here, but the ramifications are there, and we will see it in the book of Acts. If you have this vertical piece, now you have the basis for this horizontal piece, right? Neither Jew nor Gentile. You can get along with anybody because we're all one in Christ if we're in Christ. Ephesians 2.14 says this, He himself is our peace. Speaking about Jesus, who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Vertical, basis for horizontal. It's good news. Now, Jews and Gentiles can go on vacation together and eat lobster bisque and bacon. Bacon! We might not think this is a, that radical of a thing, but I think we actually should. This has ramifications. This, this is the most important thing. And it's for anybody and everybody who believes. And it has huge ramifications here. And, and we're lying to ourselves and others if we don't think the basis for this piece is not this piece. It's extraordinary. 37 says, you yourselves, you Roman Gentiles, you've been occupying us for a while. Know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. You, you know the narrative, you know the history, but let me rehearse it for you. How God anointed, that's that Messiah word, king word. He anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, you, you know the story. This didn't happen in a back alley or in somebody's heart. This happened on real turf. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. 
that Galatians 3.13, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Reality. 40 says, but God. Who's on the right side of history? It's not those who had him crucified. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. So God God vindicated him. God justified him. God God proved for people to see and hear that Jesus wasn't just blowing spiritual smoke. He wasn't making empty claims when he said, I forgive sins. He wasn't making empty claims that when he said, if you die, you will live if you believe in me because I am the resurrection. He wasn't just blown. He wasn't just making it up. He can be trusted. Why? Because he was raised from the dead. God did that. This is so good. 41 says, not Not to all the people, but to us. So let's be honest and clear about this. A lot of things happen before everybody's eyes, but then there was a unique apostolic witness. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God. Oh, Savior. And how about this? To be judge of the living and the dead. And if you think about it just for a moment, that, that's Messiah talk. That's Psalm 2 talk. That Jesus is the Savior. He's the judge. And if you don't want to face his fury as a judge, Psalm 2 says, you kiss the Son. You pay homage to the Son. You find safety from the Son's wrath in Him, by Him, through Him. He's the one who who fulfills Psalm 2, which is so well known. And not just Psalm 2. Let's keep going. I, I, I had to highlight all of verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes or trusts in him, that's what that word means, receives forgiveness of sins. Sins means lawlessness, law breaking, not loving God appropriately, not loving neighbor appropriately. Forgiveness of sins through his name. He's just preaching the gospel, the good news. For the Jew, as Paul would say, first, even think chronology. And also to the Greek, also to the Gentile. That's what's happening here. He's the savior of the world. And that doesn't mean everybody's saved. He's the Savior of everyone who believes on planet Earth. Fascinating. Good news. Wonderful news. I wrote something super profound in my notes. So much goodness here. (laughs) It's not very profound. It's simple. I mean, it's like, what? Even for a person like Cornelius. Now, for another time, if if this were a message on... Christ and culture, dealing with the culture we live in and what kind of job you can have and not have. Isn't it interesting that he's a Roman soldier who believes in the one true and living God? Anyway, we won't go there now, but it's fascinating. Okay, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, Don't miss this. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised, the Jewish believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out, wait, even on the Gentiles. 
wow, mind exploding. It's Gentile Pentecost. Right? The Jews are like, well, we know Acts chapter 2 when something extraordinary happened because there's new revelation. And so we need to be all attentive at something extraordinary happening. So they all listened and they, they were speaking in tongues, known languages, but not known by those who were speaking it. That's Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. And guess what's going to happen here? The same thing's going to happen here to authenticate. Not because it happens every time anyone becomes a Christian. But the gospel is formally and officially starting with the Jews and with these formal and official official expansions. It's the Holy Spirit of God saying it's the same thing. It works the same way for Jews and non-Jews. It's legitimate. Forty-six. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Gentile Pentecost. Fascinating. 46 goes on to say, is that where we are? I think it is. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? I dare you. Can anyone withhold it? It's kind of a challenging, a little, calm down there, buddy, a little aggressive. Because he knows the answer. Absolutely, positively not. It's the same, same gospel. 48 says, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Later, I said this, this comes up three times. Later in the book of Acts, Peter will appeal to this event arguing for equality between Jew and Gentile. You don't have to become a Jew in order to be a Christian. So if you just listen, just for the sake of time, this is Acts 15, verse 8. By giving them, the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. It's the same way. It's the same way. Learning about the gospel from lizards and lobsters. Kind of interesting. I want to end by maybe helping you think of this in terms of the big picture of the Bible because it can be confusing. And then we'll, then we'll close. How do I want to start? I want to suggest to you that Jew and Gentile together has been planned long before this. Okay? Sometimes we read it and we're like, oh, this is an interesting plan B. I was even taught that this is the parenthesis. I want to think about that. The promise of redemption goes back to Genesis 3. There were no Jews and Gentiles. There was no distinction. There was no mosaic. There were just sinners. Promise of the gospel, Genesis 3. Then we move forward and we have the promise to Abraham. Right? Help me out here. I mean, I didn't grow up in, the, in a church that taught the Bible. Who comes first, Moses or Abraham? 
Abraham comes first. Last time I checked, Genesis 12 is before Exodus. I went to public school, but... Okay, but, but see, we tend to not think this way. We think Moses came before Abraham. Nope. Promise in Genesis 3. In Genesis chapter 12, we have the great promise to Abraham that through you the nations, interesting, would be blessed. And the Apostle Paul picks up on that. The Apostle Paul says this, Galatians 3.8, The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. That's Genesis 12. And he says this, quoting, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Last time I checked, Genesis 12 is before Exodus. Abraham is before Moses. Here's why I'm belaboring the point. Because our Old Testament has so much to do with Israel when it comes to number of pages. We get this wrong. Promise of redemption. Genesis 3. The unique promise of justification for anybody and everybody who believes. The nations included. Okay, that's clearly Romans 4 talking about Genesis 12. And then we get to Moses. And we have a unique time. Unique nation, unique people, unique shadows, right? Unique types, prophets, priests, kings, sacrifices, food laws. Jesus is uniquely born under that time because he is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. He's the ultimate sacrifice. He's the one who brings fulfillment of all of those things. If anybody is the parenthesis, it's Israel. Promise for the nations, unique time, Israel. Promise for the nations, Jew and Gentile, no distinction. Huh. It's not how I learned it, but last time I checked, Genesis is before Exodus. Jesus is the Savior of all. It's always been designed that way. Isn't it amazing how God uniquely used the nation of Israel and Moses and the laws and all of those things to make sure we got Jesus here according to plan. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the book of Acts that is exciting and interesting and poses so many good questions and answers so many of them. We're thankful for today. We're thankful for your grace and your mercy. Encourage us as we go for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.